right, everybody. Welcome to No One Likes the Tuna Podcast, the world's premier dedicated Fast and Furious podcast. My name is Nick Nocera. And I'm Daryl Wong. Daryl, I'm going to get right to it. We got a guest. We got a guest. He is my favorite friend whose last name I can't pronounce. <laughs> Danny. Hello, my name is Danny Gershanko. <laughs> Danny, welcome to the podcast. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Daryl. Gershanko, what's that? Uh, what's the etymology? Uh, it was a made-up name from the Soviet Union to avoid being outed as an explicitly Jewish name. And the story in the family is that my great grandfather just jumbled some letters together. And we got Gershanko. Hey, that's pretty cool. My grandparents, or not grandparents, but my ancestors were not as creative as that. They just were like, this town seems nice. We'll just make our last name this town. <laughs> you know? So, nice. That's pretty good. Daryl, how'd you I, get Wong? Uh, we st- I think we stole or made up Wong. I think mm-hmm. my family was originally Yi family, but in order to get uh, forged paperwork to uh, immigrate to the United States, we became Wongs. They're like, yeah. yeah, that sounds good. We'll go Wong. <laughs> uh, the only thing I know about my last name, which is not much, is that uh, it was not an Ellis Island. Uh, 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 it was not an, a given name from Ellis Island. I know like a lot of Italian Americans came... And because their names were complicated and like border <laughs> officers at Ellis Island, you know, where this didn't feel like they had the time to write all that out, they would give a lot of immigrants just the last name of the town that they were from, right? So, um, but I know that my um, great grandparents did not come from Nochera directly, but through Campabasso. So we believe we were Nocheras before moving to Campobasso in Italy. And that's it. That's all I got. We watched Furious 7 this week. Daryl, you watched Furious 7? I absolutely did. Danny, you watched Furious 7? I I loved watching Furious 7. (laughs) What did you love about it? Um, It was my first... um, Fast and the Furious uh, catch up to the series since I was a prepubescent teen mm-hmm. when the first film came out. Mm-hmm. So it was nice to catch up with some familiar faces. Yeah, no, and be out nice. of the loop of a lot of things. <laughs> you, did you feel lost when you were watching this? There were some notes I took that. I had to go back after things got revealed where clearly had I seen even the previous film, I would know these things. Right. But because that's not the case, I didn't. I figured they, I mean, am I, I don't want to get into no, it. No, no, get, get into it, get into it, get into it. I figured we knew Statham already, but I take it we didn't know Statham. No. He's brand new. He's brand, well... He's brand new through a relation. His brother is the bad guy in six. Uh-huh. I, yeah, they, they, 
they they kind of get to that. Yeah. Well, Statham starts with his like Stathamisms, standing over uh, his brother, saying yeah. how one last ride, one last job, mm-hmm. clean mm-hmm. up his mess. Um. Yeah, what do you think of Jason Statham in this picture? He was very much Jason Statham. Except more, like, uh, more machismo, if that's possible, than we're used to from the man. Are you a Stathamite? I like the transporter a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I think about it every time I see a black Audi. You're just like, yeah, well, I see why you bought that. Yeah, maybe Jason Statham. I currently own a black Audi. And it makes me feel like I'm Jason Statham whipping around, you know? Mm-hmm. It's good. Daryl, how was your watch through this week? Uh, decent watch through, you know. I mean, I feel like it's been like a nice, um, reminiscent season for us. We're going back to our roots here. I think for the past few seasons, we've been really uh, trying to vary our watch through by different focuses and different orders. But it's been nice to just do a classic old... One through nine. Yeah. Yeah. And how are you feeling so far? We're almost done. We got yeah. eight in the Hobbs and Shaw and then start all over again. So how are you feeling mm-hmm. on this watch through? I mean, I think that like I'm seeing not only these actors, but I'm seeing these characters as workers. Like everybody has a role. Everybody has a very specific job description. Like mm-hmm. go do this stuff. Make sure that we're able to deliver this movie. And maybe that's because I'm working a little bit too hard at my office right now. But <laughs> what's I think going everybody... on in the office, bro? <laughs> hey, man, I'm doing. Uh, I'm a new. I'm a new supervisor. Okay, I got a whole different way to look at the business. I gotta be making sure that people are doing what they're supposed to be doing, and also they have to be like kind of happy about it too. And right. I think that's reflecting on my watch through in these movies here. Are you using the Fast and Furious? And, like, the way that the family dynamic works and, like, Dom's care and loyalty for his family to influence the sort of culture you imbue at the office? I'm, pl- I'm pleased to say that I'm absolutely using the Toretto family values as a official <laughs> management style, okay? Thank you. Because, you know. Danny, in case you don't know, we have a set of... Um, what we like to call Toretto family values on this podcast. Okay. Mm-hmm. There's only three so far. Okay. What are they? I'm trying to remember the third one, but <laughs> the first two are Barbara loyalty. Got to be loyal to, yeah, you got to be loyal <laughs> to Barbara. hundred percent forever. I, so far I agree. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Second one is be on time for the Uber. <laughs> be on time for it. Okay. <laughs> These guys got stuff to do. All right, they're working hard. Be on time for the Uber. Am I to imply that means that in one of the Fast and the Furious franchises, one of these people take a hired car? No, I think it's more that like we, Daryl and I, just wanted to focus some things about our life that we feel like Dom Toretto and the rest of the Toretto family would endorse. Basically, mm-hmm. in terms of mm-hmm. okay. values in our life. The third one, I think, mm-hmm. was uh, new from a week or two ago. It's yeah. don't show your ass. 
<laughs> Maybe it was. Maybe it, I think it was. <laughs> Just don't show your butt. Don't show your butt. Don't show your, your butt. butt. Keep your butt crack specifically. Keep your butt crack to yourself. Okay. Keep it uh, to yourself. Per- Protect it at all costs. Put it in a car. Cover it with pants. Mm-hmm. Do not, under any circumstances, wear a mesh-backed athletic wear. It's yeah, inappropriate. Don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. One of my notes was that um, Vin Diesel's character does come across. He has this like guru-esque kind of uh, figure, mm-hmm. and I don't know if this is true for the other films or it's just here. But he has all these moments where he looks somebody right in the eye and says something that's like a truism, but it's only true because Vin Diesel saying it. <laughs> you know what they say: defeats yeah. always win. Um, the one at I, I like the one at the end where he says, "You can't tell someone that they love you." <laughs> that one's a good one, though. That I like that a one. Good a one. Yeah, the streets always win does not make any sense. But no, that makes no sense at all. We've spent a long time trying to figure out sort of the rules and extents of Dom Toretto's powers in these movies mm-hmm. because he he can race really well. He can drive a car very well. That's like superpower number one. Guy is like the greatest driver of all time. He's very very strong. Mm-hmm. Turns out he's There's, bulletproof. Yeah, he got hit bullet- in the face with a piece of uh, like car, like structure frame in this movie. That's no true. damage whatsoever. To no the face. damage. I wouldn't say he's bulletproof, but he is bullet resistant. Maybe <laughs> you know, like the yeah. bullet will go in, but the long term effects are you know not there. Silt. Yeah. yeah. If I got shot in the shoulder, like he does in six. I think, to, for for me, that would be like years of physical. Th- Even if the bullet didn't like do a ton of like hit a bunch of vital shit, that's mm-hmm. still like years of physical therapy and recuperation and recover. And and problem, you know, my guess is my arm would just never be the same after mm-hmm. that. I tweak my neck, brush my teeth one time. <laughs> okay, I'm dealing with the ramification of that three and a half years later. You know, so I mm-hmm. think getting shot might have some more serious side effects for me. But for Dom Toretto, not so much. Not so mm-hmm. much. Yeah. And now we can add to the list of superpowers, you know, wisdom. Mm-hmm. Wisdom. He also has, for sure, he has um, like supersonic hearing. He can identify oh. motors and like whether they're good or bad. They're running on nitro meth if they're right. Like, the nitro meth run- thing is definitely he is sort of a clairvoyant in that nitro meth <laughs> scene in four. You know, it's clairvoyance, but he can hear motorcycles. He can hear like if Johnny Tran is riding them. He can identify a significant amount of information yeah. based on inbound engine noises. It's kind of like how Superman, like once in a while. You're like, oh, he's got that power too. That's crazy. That, that watching the series, it just creeps. They keep sort of adding them up in terms of what he can, what he can do, basically. There, he, he's not the only one that's clairvoyant. There's another clairvoyant moment in this movie is when uh, Michelle Rodriguez senses that Paul Walker is about to fall off of that bus. She had no idea. 
true. And she pulls up and perfectly times the moment he's going to die and saves his life. And he giggles about it right after. Well, I think that Dom Toretto has sort of transferred some of his powers <laughs> to, to Letty through his semen. You know? <laughs> so she's sort of been imbued with some, some of his supernatural abilities. It's like, go ahead and keep it under 8,000 RPM. Also, uh, two or three days from now, make sure you drive by this cliff in Azerbaijan, just in case, mm-hmm. you know, like I'm giving you a couple pointers here on your drag race and you're going to have to save Brian. Yeah. Yeah. Danny, what else? Um, like this was your first experience really with the, the, like what we think of as the franchise, right? You saw the first movie when you were a young lad, as did I think the rest of us, that movie is much smaller and it's a much uh, more delicate piece. I would call it. This is not a small, delicate piece. And no, no. <laughs> um, I I took from this like it was almost like um, like three episodes of the A Team put into one big movie. They were like this like superhero, like you guys were just mentioning, like invincible. They 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 super they make sure that the cars are bulletproof, but they don't mm-hmm. so much as wear a bulletproof vest, except for Kurt Russell. Mm-hmm. Um, who I really hope we get to talk about. Um, but, um, I, and I just kind of like the acts. Um, I liked that it was Azerbaijan to Abu Dhabi to LA. I like the internationalism. I like that it was like, we're going to the Middle East. Uh, <laughs> it was like, it was so preposterous and cartoony and G.I. Joe-ish. Um, yeah. I kind of like I liked that cartooniness of it, uh, and to cap that, I'll say that Kurt Russell made this movie for me. Oh, very interesting! You gotta try that Belgian ale, Dom. <laughs> Why? Why does Vin no, Diesel that... never try a Belgian ale at the end? Yeah, it's crazy. That's crazy to me. Well, that's screenwriting one hundred and one. <laughs> Yeah, I think if Kurt Russell had died, as I suspect, was was regionally planned before Paul Walker actually died. That's my guess, Mm. is that, like, Kurt Russell's character was supposed to die. And that, like, if he had died in honor of his death and service, Vin maybe would have tried a a Belgian ale. But because he's alive, he's like, yeah, well, there'll be other opportunities. And we need to focus the sort of death and memory and honor around Paul Walker at the end of this thing. That would be my guess. Have you ever had a Belgian ale? Yeah, I'm a beer guy, of course. Oh, you're a beer guy. Yeah, whatever. We don't have to harp on <laughs> Daryl, would you call yourself a beer guy? Um, I drink beer. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I yeah, I drink a significant amount of it, so I guess so. Yeah. Have you ever tried remember. a Belgian ale? I feel like I have had a Belgian ale before. Yeah, I think. Wait, doesn't a uh, isn't a Blue Moon considered a uh, Belgian wheat? Therefore, that's probably the last one I drank. It's considered one. I guess. <laughs> considered one. I think it says Belgian on it. <laughs> 
Um, I definitely had like a Trappist ale back in the day. Trappist, but that was like supposedly made by like Trappist monks. Mm-hmm. Actually, I have a I have some sort of ceramic bottle that I kept for some reason that I believe had a Belgian ale inside of it at some point. And I was like, this seems too cool and too expensive for me to throw in the trash. I'm going to keep this in case I need it later on. That's been a long time. It has not seen any use. Do you, I mean, but Daryl, you prefer Corona. That would be my guess. What's that? I would prefer a Corona. I mean, yeah, if the situation, uh, is appropriate, I will certainly accept a corona. What is the appropriate situation? Like having um, a meeting in a secret government warehouse kind of deal? I mean, it's usually like if there's any situation <laughs> where I am watching any of these movies with somebody else, <laughs> I will I will procure <laughs> I will procure and drink corona. Absolutely. Um, Other than that, I need to be on a boat or a beach. Really? So it's not like your go to? It's not. No. Do you have a go-to? Like, if you're at a bar, it's pretty cash. You're not drinking cocktails, but you know, have a beer. What's the go-to? Hmm. Uh, it really depends. It really depends what they have. Okay. All right. Yeah. Danny, do you have a go-to? We're talking beers on on. <laughs> you know, these a couple of guys talking beers. Uh, That's everybody's favorite kind of podcast. Yeah. Um, a pilsner. Oh, mm-hmm. simple okay. guy. Um, I, I mentioned, um, how we go from country to country. Mm-hmm. Um, do you mind if I bring up the biggest, uh, thing that came up in my viewing? 100%. Please I don't do. Mind. Um, so I, I don't know how to bring this up lightly. When they drive the cars through the buildings in Abu Dhabi. Extremely good, realistic scene. Yes. Is that not very obvious 9-11 imagery? I think hmm. we have and and, and it's a bit. And it happens not in LA, but happens in, I don't know, an Arab country. <laughs> it's supposed to, are you, you're thinking it's supposed to be like a payback? Like the a movie payback is, uh, the movie was sponsored by Visit Abu Dhabi. I don't know if you guys know that. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I, I don't know how they got away with it, but it the first as soon as the first one went in, I was like, "That's weird." And then when the second one went in, <laughs> it seemed very clear to me what they were doing. And that'll be the end of the political things I bring up. On, on I this. have never, I don't think I've ever thought about that scene in that context before. Have you, Daryl? I have not. It's three towers. I mean, three towers. It was three, not two. They did specifically say that afterwards. Yeah, they really were like, this is three. Mm-hmm. It's three towers, and I think it would have been a lot different if the whole time to- if the whole tower fell. I think the jumping between them, like mission, like uh, yeah, Mission Impossible movies, they'll do that. We do. We see a lot of crashing into buildings. Shit, mm-hmm. like those Avengers movies, they tear up New York on a regular basis. Totally. So I think it didn't occur to me at first that the crashing of buildings was a 9-11 payback. Yeah, no. Well, that, it was weird. That. It just, I don't know. That's, I saw it. That's all I'm saying. Hey, man, you see what you see. 
You see what you see in these movies. Some of us, you know, transpose our political and, um, you know, our feelings about them onto these movies. But, I mean, it, it's not explicitly like... It's not like a 9-11 movie. You know? Well, <laughs> you no, know I mean? it's, it is it is a pro-NSA movie. Like, yeah. explicitly. Kurt yeah. Russell is, is Like, is the, the surveillance NSA. is, like... They yeah. don't really touch about, like, this, like, mass surveillance being a bad thing. Like, people... Mm-hmm. Well, and Kurt Russell explicitly at one point says, like, this is good technology in good hands and bad technology in bad hands, so it's right. better we have it. Right, which I think is, like... Right, it's sort of like the the overarching, like, that's how much we're going to deal with this kind of conversation here for these movies, right? Not us, the podcast, but the movies saying, like, we're just going to toe this line that's like, this technology or these weapons or this surveillance, like, in the right hands is a very good thing, in the wrong hands is a very bad thing. We're going to leave it to you to, like, have your feelings about that as an ideological uh, as an ideological hot point, and we're not really going to touch on it. We're please just using this please, please, as just like a device for this movie. Please don't ask any questions about it. Please, <laughs> you know. Yeah, but I think the uh. device, the God's Eye device, at least in this one, I think it gets a little overpunched in Eight and Hobbs and Shaw. But I think the, like the technology and the hacking. Kind of works in this one as like a driver, you know. It's like something different for these movies a little bit. I what do you think, found the the kind of hacking. It's kind of archaic. The like, just one second, you're in. They blocked the signal. They blocked the signal. Yeah, it's a little. But I haven't. I don't know if this is an upgrade of. Um, like, great. Yeah, I just feel like, you know, like we have. I don't know. I like that the movie, or the franchise, has tried to sort of shift its focus in terms of like, what the movie is. Right. Like four is cops and robbers. Five is like robbers and cops kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. And then Six is like this international heist movie. Uh, Or, yeah, I guess Five is a heist movie, but then like Six is this sort of international big military badass thing. And then Seven is like the hacking movie. And then Eight, they sort of have run out of ideas. And like, oh, well, maybe we should just do hacking again. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Daryl, watching this again for the 19th time, mm-hmm. were you feeling the pain? Were you feeling like anybody stood out to you? Were you noticing things? What was your, what was your shit? What, do you have, what are you looking down there at your notes? Well, I'm trying to see if there's anything good in terms of what I wrote down here. I think that um, our guy Hobbs... We sometimes think of him as like a very like, I'm into justice, I'm into the military, but really, the guy just likes to work. He likes mm-hmm. his job. 
Mm-hmm. You know, he he's, he finds satisfaction in being able to go and do something at the end of the day. He gets to work out. He gets to do a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and that's it. And sometimes that involves chasing international criminals down to Rio de, Rio de Janeiro. And sometimes that involves blocking uh, your partner from a uh, time bomb that Jason Statham dropped in there. But... Yeah, I was yeah I was watching Hobbs, I was watching Hobbs's time and I see him and it's almost it's almost like the criticisms of the like uh, just like superhuman that he represents or is trying to be sort of like faded away and I just saw Hobbs as like a guy who likes to work. Yeah, man's got daddy's got to go to work, you know. Daddy's got to like, go to work. The requirements of the job are at times varied and stressful you know and at times you have to crack open your own arm cast just through the power of your musculature uh and i was uh, thinking of that when you were talking about your own uh, illnesses earlier yeah. i was thinking about um, cracking out of the cast do you think anybody's ever done that just no. the, maybe the rocks admitted that to the script from his lived experience. I think the Rob submitted a bunch of stuff to the <laughs> script, especially for eight. But, um, I mean, I like this amount of the rock in this movie, basically. Mm-hmm. You get a little taste in the beginning, you get a little touch at the end, and then we're done, basically. I agree. You know? I agree. Can I bring up, I thought that they could have done a better job. I feel like there was a an opportunity to create more suspense when the rock, like they could have had the ambulance that he was driving crash into the drone. Mm-hmm. And then the rock gets out and the audience goes, Oh my God, we haven't seen the rock since the first 15 minutes. Right. Right. And instead, instead of they showing built the scene up, in the hospital where he's like, I got to go to work. Yeah. I, I felt like it was a missed opportunity for a reveal. I was thinking, I was picturing myself in the movie theater. Mm hmm. Like with a reveal, and I feel like that could have been a pretty sweet one, and they just kind of didn't have it. Yeah, I still remember like being in the movie theater, and when, like, the surprise is that he like crashes into the drone, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we know he's gonna come back. He's been laid up in the hospital. I still remember being like excited and surprised when that came about. Basically, mm-hmm. is this the first drone of the series? Was a question I had for you too. Hmm. Yes. 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 Interesting. I mean, Tej uses a remote control car. Yep. In the Which I guess but is technically not, drone. Yeah, not like military drone for blowing uh, up stuff. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I guess Cipher does Cipher have any she Cipher has a drone submarine. In eight. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty cool. Everything else has been helicopters. Manned helicopters with rail guns on them or yeah. those EMP pucks. Yeah, the hard thing with the drone in movies is like you gotta cut to the drone. You gotta have drone stuff. If a drone is part of your action sequence, just by the nature of like telling a visual story, you have to have like pieces of the drone flying from place to place shooting this shooting that you have to like have that coverage and set up and and those shots 
But the problem with the drone is like there's nobody fucking in it. So when you do those drone pieces, you can't have what I think they do kind of smartly here is also the guys in the helicopter being like, our fucking drone, you know, like unless mm-hmm. you're going to an office in Langley, you can't have like the the human element to the drone piece as much. So I think it's smart right. to sort of avoid the drone yeah, yeah, yeah. as much as you can. Basically, um, yeah, Danny. What what's your one? I want to do like one last big one for you, and then let's get to some shout-outs and let's get the fuck out of here. I feel like all I've done is talked. Um, I found uh, okay. I'm, I'll say it quickly, and then I'll pick a different one if you don't like it. This the arc of Paul Walker's character makes no sense at all in this movie. And I know that they were working with a situation. uh, (laughs) To say the least, yeah. In that he wasn't around anymore. But so they keep saying that he, that his wife keeps saying that she feels bad for him having children because he belongs out almost dying. And that she almost resents herself for having kids to put him in this position, which is a, you know, awesome. Yeah. It's um, really cool. Good message. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and I know like at the end, it's all like they break the fourth wall kind of, and I'm sure they haven't done that before and all this stuff. But then that scene where Vin Diesel's there, Paul Walker pulls up to him, then they drive and then the fork happens. And like, I get it. But in reality, all that's happened is that Paul Walker left his wife and kids at the beach, <laughs> which fulfills the moral arc that wasn't supposed to happen in the movie. Yeah. And that's like, that was the thing that kept blowing my mind. The phone call that she has with him when she tells him that she's pregnant mm-hmm. and, and he goes, and he goes, yeah, too bad. Kiss him. Kiss the one I got. Goodbye. I'll see you. <laughs> it's unbelievable. That blew me away. That's my last one, Nick. That's okay. I, I mean, I don't know. Daryl, do you have thoughts on this? So that's a good one. It's sort of related to the one that I like mostly wrote down, but I decided to abandon because I went down this, I started going through and like, all right, which one's real Paul Walker, which one's not? And then I was like, I should probably Google this. I Googled it, and I think I saw like an interview with somebody. They were like, we're not putting out a list of which ones he's in and which one he's not. Okay, yeah. this is a memorial movie, and the whole idea is that it doesn't matter. Okay, mm-hmm. whatever we do here, whether he's on screen or we've got a um, yeah digital impersonation of him is too bad. Like. Right. It is what it is, and... We're never going to tell you. We're never going to tell you because you don't need to know. Because we're that good. Because we're that good, and we're not going to compromise the the memory of Paul. And that's where I landed on it, so... I mean, we could go through. I think with some careful study, we could go through and figure it out. I think I... Yeah. I, I think at some point I like had a pretty good idea of like here's real Paul, here's not real Paul. And then at some point I was like, Oh my god, these are all fake Paul. Yeah, they're all <laughs> these are all fake Paul. Yeah, we're not gonna tell you because it's a hundred percent fake Paul. 
<laughs> Danny, like watching this that. movie, what would you say is like the percentage of fake Paul versus real Paul? For me? Mm-hmm. Like while you were watching it, and you knew obviously going into watching this that like Paul Walker was not alive during a portion of this filming, and thus they had to digitally recreate him. And so were you attuned to that? Were you not paying attention to it? Were you thinking like, oh, that's a weird shot? Or what? what's your... Oh, I was looking. Yeah. Um, there was only one that was super obvious for me, and it's that very last one where he turns to Vin yeah. Diesel in the car. Yeah. You can... It's choppy. Yeah. Um, but uh, otherwise, I don't know. It looked... Uh, whatever they're doing, looked great. Yeah, I think so too. I think, I mean, this is, I want to be clear, this is not to like decry or like defame somebody's work because they did an excellent job. But like, I think Daryl, I like align with your experience where watching it the first time I was like, oh, fucking Paul was around. Like, Mm -hmm. Paul had some shit in here. And then after, I think maybe cycle 11 or 12, I was like, this is, this is all a computer, basically. Mm. It's either a computer. If you're looking at his face, it's a computer. And then if you're not looking at his face, it's his brother. Like the back of his brother's head or like just like his brother turning real quick away from the camera in the shadows. The phone call scene, Danny, you mentioned is like... Um, you know, is is a lot of him like sort of spinning around on the phone in a dark fucking garage and like yeah. the camera cutting to Mia right when he's sort of about to show his face, basically. I see, I see. Oh, I'm tough on that one. I almost think that like I don't that was one where I started doing this exercise, I was like and it got to that point, I was like, I don't know anymore. Because yeah. I thought that was a real Paul scene, the phone call to Mia. But I was like, that's not possible. Like, right. why would they build this scene into it right. if he were alive? So Sorry, that. do you guys agree that it's wild, that phone call? Like, in its, in a, in its substance? Yes. Or, yes. Yes. I do. I do. Yes. 100%. Like, narratively, there's chunk, the chunk at the end, the Paul Walker stuff at the end doesn't make sense narratively with the film, right? Pretty yeah. much at all. However, like you mentioned, Danny, this is the time in this series where they're like, we're just going to break the fourth wall and we're going to do something which we feel like honors the spirit of our very good friend who we lost while filming this movie. And we're just going to be okay with that, basically. And I think audiences, and Daryl and I included, are like, yeah, we're okay with that too. Like, go for it, basically. The weird part, the weirder part, actually, for me, is the arc of Paul Walker's character where he's like, I miss the bullets kind of stuff. Like, I'm resenting the fact that I have to live this domestic life because, like, you know, he sort of, it's like makes this weird duality, like, of conflicting narratives and conflicting arcs and, and sort of moral. A conflicts within Paul Walker's character of like, I'm leaving and I died, and the reality of that in terms of a fourth wall break, versus like this allegory for like men's domesticity and like having to grow up and coming to the face of facts that you're not fuckable anymore, and 
you know, like, and, and sort of live and like what growing up means in terms of like living a life that you wanted to, wanted to live or, or having new experiences or having new women or having new whatever, and then settling down and sort of being this good domestic father and and how that can actually like mean more and give more purpose and give more like character to somebody than like having exciting experiences and being all of it and going to these different places and meeting new people and all that sort of shit right so like there is this sort of allegorical piece to that narrative and they're using it in the way that's like extreme in terms of like he misses like a worldwide police cop chasing gun firing action shit but you know i i think there's this part to that arc of like i need to grow up right like growing when what growing up means and what fatherhood means and that part is 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 the fact that they kept that piece in the fact that they kept that arc of the character in the movie after he had died and after they realized they were going to have to just like do this thing where they honor his memory is is weird to me that's a weird thing too to me and it's written into the movie so many times and they could have changed it right because where um they keep talking about no more funerals Mm -hmm. and then when they think that vin diesel's dead they have Paul, it's Paul Walker's characters over him saying, like, no more funerals for you. Like, I'm going to save you. Right. And, and it's just, it's so, like, grim, like, you know, going into the movie knowing that. It's horrifically grim. And so, like, tie that to what you're talking about with everything. And then yeah, the fourth kind of wall break. It's yeah. kind of a mess. It's kind of a mess. Yeah. Yeah. So we're talking all fake Paul when they revive... <laughs> Dom, right? Yeah. All fake. Yeah. They did a good job with that. They did a good job. They did a good job. Because I remember when we watched the movie, I was like, they're gonna they're gonna kill Paul. They're gonna kill Paul. Some point in this movie, and then that's what made Dom's almost death. Right. Very that's what right. Very like this is a symbolic moment of us trying to sort of like save our friend's life but we're using it at the reverse to sort of make the point of it mm-hmm. yeah. um i thought they were gonna kill paul when i first watched this and i still made me think they should kill paul you know they Glorious sent him to like crash? heaven instead right kind of right they send him to heaven with like his family in heaven on the beach super heaven yeah Supra, yeah, Toyota Supra Heaven. <laughs> anyway, hey, um, let's do a couple shout outs. Hell yeah. Yeah. We have a little segment on this show called Shout Outs, uh, where we talk about products and people and places and things that we dig and we use in our life or the opposite. Um, these movies have a lot of product placement in them, so we decided to have a little product placement for ourselves, just like in the spirit of, you know, connecting ourselves with these movies. Uh, my shout-out, I'm going to go first this week. My shout-out is to a very important 
piece of equipment, which, Daryl, I actually think you may have given a shout-out to on this very podcast oh, before. Oh, in fact. So this is sort of like a collab. Um, we at work, I work in the movies, and at work in New Zealand on the movies is a thing, like, we have a protocol which we don't really have in the United States, but... Um, I do think it's a good idea. I want to give a shout-out to the high-vis vest. Ooh, nice. Which, Daryl, you have used sort of high-vis equipment, high-vis vest, high-vis clothing to keep yourself safe while riding bicycles in New York City, which, you know, to me is a drop in the little teacup there in terms of what <laughs> it's actually going to do for you, keeping you uh-huh. safe. Um, but uh, there's a lot of heavy machinery in the studios and on the stages and, like, fucking nail guns and like all kinds of people moving around and lots of lumber and things. When I'm walking on the stages here in New Zealand, I can see everybody right away because they're all wearing high vis. And I, me, even as a designer, if I walk in the stages or walk into any areas that are using machinery, I got to put on a high vis vest and uh, have one at my desk. I grab it. I walk to the stages I feel like I'm seen. I feel like I'm a lot safer in that environment. And uh, uh, I think it's an excellent policy. So kudos to New Zealand and kudos to like the film industry in New Zealand for sort of instituting this kind of thing. You know, I think it should be a more regular thing in the United States, maybe. Get the high-vis going. I agree. It has a certain effect to wearing a high vis, very similar to like wearing a helmet. Some would say that you wear a helmet and you act more dangerously. I would say when I wear a helmet, I ride safer. And I feel like when I'm wearing a a high visibility vest, I am generally more cautious of like what is going on around me. And I think it's both effective for visual identifying, but it also puts you in the right space puts you in the right sort of safety state of mind and if i do say so myself i got a medium and it's a zip up the front it's kind of becoming on me that's all i'm gonna say it looks pretty good it looks pretty it looks pretty good put a couple pockets in there get Uh, a breathable mesh i -hmm. mean it's a it's a stylish and functional item it's sort of the only vest i wear you know um, I don't have any other vests in sort of my normal everyday clothes. And it's kind of a special little piece of technology, the vest, I think. <laughs> Keeps you warm up top, but lets your arms breathe a little bit, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. So, shout out to the High Biz. Big fan. That's all I got for shout outs this week. Danny. Yes, Nick. Your turn. What do you want to shout out to this week? Um, this week. Uh, as opposed to my previous last appearances, uh, I'm going to shout out a an organization, if that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, South Brooklyn Mutual Aid, uh, which is an organization I happen to help out, but does a lot of work that's much bigger than anything I contribute to it. Um, they distribute food, diapers, clothes, um, registering people to get vaccines, everything for my local community in South Brooklyn. Um, They're incredible people that since March of last year have given over 30,000 boxes of food to, which is a major gap that our government doesn't address. And Mm -hmm. so it takes, 
individuals that volunteer their time and energy and resources to do so. Um, so if any of your listeners have any resources that they can themselves donate, South Brooklyn Mutual Aid does take donations. It helps get uh, diapers on babies' butts. It helps get food uh, into people's houses, and it helps our community get to know each other better. Also, if there's any listeners out there in South Brooklyn who need help, you know, maybe reach there out to the little uh, South Brooklyn Mutual Aid. Maybe they can help you thank out you. with something. Thank you, Nicholas. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I haven't been called Nicholas in a long time, bro. That's crazy. That's crazy. Anyway, um, I don't know much about this organization, but it sounds like a good one. Thank you for shouting it out. Daryl, are you familiar with South Brooklyn Mutual Aid? You live in Brooklyn, maybe not South Brooklyn, but you live in Brooklyn. I live in Brooklyn, but I've never heard of it, but I'll look it up. I think yeah. that's, um, yeah. It sounds like a good organization. Daryl, I guarantee whatever section of Brooklyn you are, there is a mutual aid organization for that area that mm -hmm. is doing uh, like work and uh, are always looking for help, both monetary and physical. So, Excellent. I'll, I will seek out my neighborhood mutual aid establishment. Mutual aid. Let's do it. Daryl. I want you to mutually aid us <laughs> by telling so us my, your shout-out this week. So mine is also a Brooklyn shout-out. This oh. one, I got my first dose vaccine this week at Medgar Evers College, which is a FEMA-run uh, vaccination site. Mm -hmm. That operation is running very smoothly. They opened up like hundreds of appointments, start of week, I was able to access it through the New York State website, booked it, sign-up was easy, arrived on site. It sort of looks like a, um, you know how they do like the alien movies where they put up the white tents and you have to kind of yeah, like sure. walk through guys wearing yeah. combat boots and stuff. There's like a little bit of that, but otherwise like very smooth sailing. Check your IDs like 20 times. Took yeah. your temperature like three times, but that's it. The actual administering of the dose was done by a bunch of very attractive military men. That's the word on the streets, is that the <laughs> Edgar Evers College is where all the cuties are. <laughs> I can verify very good-looking dudes cutie there. Patooties. They look so good in their uniforms. <laughs> and they're doing good. Uh -huh, they're doing good uh -huh. work. So, um, yeah, just like... Very smooth. I, they, I'm scheduled to go back in a couple weeks here for my follow-up. I got a little card I'm walking around with, and yeah, it was good. So, solid, man. Yeah. How Edgar long Evers College. between the two doses? So I got a Pfizer shot. I think mm -hmm. it's like two weeks. Cool. Three. Three weeks. So three weeks. I'm going back mm -hmm. on the 29th. Is that three weeks from now? That seems right, yeah. 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 Close to three weeks, yeah. Right. Cool. So it was good. I don't feel too bad. My uh, shoulder is a little bit sore, but otherwise, feeling tip-top over here. Yeah. So I had a good time working with the, uh, I don't know, just working through that process. So I want to give a shout-out to them. Solid, man. Solid yeah. shout-out. Um, well, if you want to shout at us, 
Uh, we're at, I hate doing these fucking closing things. <laughs> fucking, uh, at Nolt Podcast, N-O-L-T-T Podcast. Uh, we got, uh, No One Likes to Tune a Podcast on Instagram. We got, No One Looks Likes to Tune a Podcast at gmail.com. Patreon.com slash No One Likes to Tune a Podcast. Anything else? Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Spotify, mm-hmm. Stitcher, uh, fucking do whatever you want. Couldn't care less. That's it. It's another episode for you. Danny, thank you for joining us. Oh my God, thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. <laughs> Glad you Have me back anytime, please. You both keep safe over there in uh, New York City. All right? Thanks, Nick. Well, do you.